And he only asked me one question. He said, what, what's his birthday? So I said, it's 22nd of August. And his response was, that's a shame. He'll never play professional football. Wow. And being, being, being born, born, in, born in, August in August in the UK, in the UK basically, basically, you've got you've obstacles, got obstacles all, all, the way. all the way. None of the QPR sh- staff showed up. Not a single one. If you get to the under-17s of Ajax, something like 80% of the players who make it to the under-17s will play professional football. What's necessary there is to have a, a multiplicity of opportunity at very young ages. Hello and welcome to Project Footballer episode 22. Today we are talking about a very important subject, relative age effects. And with us today we have an expert in this subject. We have Stephen Lawrence. Um, His son is an international footballer who happened to be born in August. He has been a consultant with Ajax. He has written several books on this subject and over 20 years of experience. Um, Yeah, we're delighted to have you with us. Thank you for joining us, Stephen. Good to be here. Um, Well, you know, I wanna, there's so much to talk about. Rob and I are so, so excited about this episode to hear from you. Um, I think the best place to start would be hearing about Jamie's journey. Um, So he now plays, he's played with Wales and, uh, Nuremberg. Nuremberg, yeah. Um, so what age did he start playing football? Uh, as a toddler, um, you know, two, two-ish, something like that in the back garden. I mean, I think most most small children kick a ball around in the garden when they can. Um, yeah. And it, it started in the park. We used to go to the park and in, in, in my wife and I would have a coffee and uh, uh, Jamie and his brother Tom would uh, kick a ball around like... Uh, they all do with a couple of jumpers for goals and yeah. they very quickly got engaged with everything else that was going on and um before long you know we were we were actually doing a proper saturday morning thing and were you a f- footballer yourself or no i'm pretty useless <laughs> uh, 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 i i i once uh, had to play in the uh, uh, parents match against the coaches uh, um and uh, jamie watched this and when we came off and we won and i'd uh, um um assisted the the winning goal i came off and he said dad you were useless and I, I thought, well, actually, he's not far wrong there. But I was a squash player. I played, right, okay. I played squash to a pretty high standard. So this was um, North London. It was like North Queen's London, Park, yeah. you said? Queen, Queen's Park, yeah. Yeah, okay. So when your child started to play football, um, you supported him, Yeah, got him playing. Like, How did he actually join a team? Um. Well, uh, you know, it was in a, in a sort of on a school football pitch to start with. And yeah. actually, the, the story starts in a, in a shoe shop. Oh, right. um, because, of course, when you've got small children, finding boots for them to run around in is really quite hard. And there was a lovely girl in a, um, a, a shoe shop in Wilsdon. And, um, you know, we were buying them both football boots. And I got talking with her and saying, you know, uh, Jamie's pretty good yeah and um you know what what kind of thing can we do with him and she said oh you need to uh you need to get involved with the um 
I forget what it was called, but there was a group that played at the JVC Centre at, right. uh, at Highbury. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so we started doing that. Before very long, we met someone who, uh, and, uh, another, some parents of another player who was uh, uh, Enfield Town. Yeah. Uh, Enfield FC it was um, then. Um, and they said, do you think Jamie could, would like to come and play? Enfield was a bit far away, but um, um, they were, they'd become mates quite quickly. And, of course, you, know, you say yes. And then, of course, you're in a team. And guess what? The team's really rather good. Uh. And, that, and that was a sort of surprise. And then I thought, well, actually, you know, I mean, this is, this is all really good, good fun. And was the lady in the shoe shop the coach for the team? She, um, she, was, um, she was one of the Arsenal women's team back then. And I... I for the, I'm afraid I can't remember her name, but oh. she was um, she was one of the extras in Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Well, um, yeah, well done to her. That just yeah. sounds like how a football player's journey starts. Yeah. Um, so then talk me through the process of him getting scouted then. So what, what, what was the first academy that he joined and what happened there? Well, um, so he was... He was busy playing in the sort of, you know, one of the Middlesex League um, um, competitions. Um, and I got a call from a parent one morning of another player and he said would Jamie like to join in a tournament this weekend um and I said yeah probably um and what age was this sorry eight age eight eight okay. I think he was eight okay um and maybe seven seven or eight and um so I, I said yeah and you know send me tell me the address and it was Hale End. Um, I'd never heard of Hale End. And, um, and actually we went there and, and it was in the school next door because Hale End at that moment was actually in the process of being bought by Arsenal. And it was, it was organised by Roy Massey and, um, and the, the, the people there. And I just, you know, we, so we found ourselves in the middle of this and at the end of this, these boys enjoying themselves, Roy Massey said, would he like to... Uh, um, join the academy oh. that's really interesting because um yeah something that we're going to come and speak on later is about this um relative age relative age effects yeah and how players get scouted if they're born later in the school year and so on yeah. we're talking about the skill of the scout um and what, what we will get into that but it's it's interesting that roy massey was essentially yeah. the person that scouted him. Is it, it, it and but what's um, and um, the the other? It was Tunde Adeshokan. I don't know if you know Tunde. Don't know. Um, and it, but what's what's important is that this was in the summer, so it was just before Jamie's birthday. So he would have been seven actually, and um, and so. so you know, under eight. So he would have been an under eight, but yeah. he was about to become under nine right um and so and and then we subsequently had this discussion about which team he would be able to play in um but, but the reason that i picked up on that person because he was running the whole academy he was yeah he? so he was like the head of the academy so it sounds like they've organized a, a last minute maybe tournament yeah. do some talent id get teams in and then improve their group for their under nines because that would have been under eights um, going in for next season under nines and so a top scout the head of the academy is the one that spotted the player um, yeah I, I think he uh, someone else had sort of brought him and he must he would have been on the list and you know right. Roy, Roy Massey would have been there looking through yeah also the scouting networks probably weren't quite as yeah. big 
yeah. that time as they are now, I would say. It's not that, it's not, so, so what year are we talking? What year would this have been? Uh, well, he was born in 92, so it would have been 2000. Two, yeah, two, sure 99, 2000, a yeah. A lot bigger now. Maybe not as, not that many more scouts, I don't think. Really? I think from 2000, I think, hmm, it's in, it'd be interesting to look at that. I think. I would, I would think that they've put a lot of, a lot more refund, uh, resources into the number of scouts they have just so they can true actually carpet true, bomb a little true. bit and see Chelsea as many players kicking on 2005 and yeah i think when the premier league money started becoming so big yeah it became more important that they didn't miss a player i think Fair uh, enough. yeah but i don't uh, i don't know the numbers arsenal were but... ahead of scouting at, around this period and then chelsea kicked it up a notch around 2005 when the money came in from abramovich and then that caused the whole sort of london competition with scouts um but i think yeah i think experience of scout to spot future potential that is going to be a, a good, good discussion for us to have yep. but, um so so he got scouted and so he's he's then how quickly was he then offered the contract for the under nine he's well he'd stayed for two years um and he was always in in between the 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 two age groups so he he was playing with um uh, you know the likes of Benica Fobe and um, and Chuck Seneca and and Harry Kane, um, but they were they were just inside um, the well. I, um, Harry Kane is actually um, a, a late born player, um, but they were the younger age group. Uh, Jamie was actually in um, Jack Wilcher's age group. Um, but he played with the younger age group, so so that was a very interesting lesson for me because I saw I saw I saw him um, uh, developing because he was actually playing with boys his own age, mm. whereas the whereas the older age group they were a year older than him. Jack Wilshire was was you know I, best part of a year older than him. Would have been like, yeah like eleven months yeah. whatever it would yeah. be right. Okay, so yeah. Arsenal took the decision to play him down an age group. They did. Okay. And how long did he do that for? He did it for two years. Okay. Because I remember like reading in one of your articles, you'd said that someone came into your shop. This was in, in an earlier an earlier time when we were we were going to the JVC Centre to, you know, to sort of join in the um, um, with the groups. And somebody came up to me on the balcony and said, asked me if he was my son. Yeah. And and he only asked me one question. He said, um, what what's his birthday? And so I said, it's 22nd of August. And, um, and his response was, that's a shame. He'll never play professional football. What? And, 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 and that is what alerted me to the whole issue because I'm thinking, that's just nuts. <laughs> I'm, how, how, can, how can, he's clearly interested. And I, my assumption was that it was a scout. Yeah. I, and I have no idea because he just, just disappeared just like that. Um, and I, so, but of course, as soon as I heard that, I thought I need to find out about this. And it didn't take me very long to realize that it, it was a serious issue. Mm. Back then, it wasn't really appreciated. I mean, the FA had, um, um, you know, one of, one of their staff had actually written um, uh, a paper on it. I think a PhD paper. Yeah, PhD paper on it. Okay. And so, so this now point, you're in the under nines. Is that the period that yep. the, and so then you started to say, oh, okay, my child has maybe a disadvantage here. Yeah. Right, okay. And so talk me through like the rest of Jamie's journey then. So you said it lasted two years at Arsenal. Yeah. 
And then was he released? He was, absolutely. Right. And there was, you know, there was a day um, where, you know, there's a list of players needed to go in, needed to talk with Roy Massive. We were pretty much the last there at, at Hale End. Went into Roy, Roy's office and um, and he said, um, and, you know, we're going to release Jamie. And, you know, I, um, my heart sank and I, yeah. you know, walked out with him. And it's quite interesting because he, he turned to me, Jamie turned to me and he said, it's okay, Dad. Um, I, I don't care who I play for. I just want to play football. (laughs) And so then how long was it before he joined another academy? Uh, two years. And which one was that? QPR. Okay. And how long was he at QPR for? One year. All right. Um, we had a, um, it was, it was at the moment that, uh, Raheem Sterling was just arriving. So yeah. all of a sudden there was this sort of big thing happening because Raheem Sterling was arriving. Right. And they, they somehow kind of everybody lost interest in everybody else. Uh, we played and um, he got a ball in the face, um, which knocked him pretty senseless. Um, and uh, it left him with concussion. Oh, no. And uh, none of the QPR sh- staff showed up. Not a single one. It was Portsmouth away. And so I wrote them a furious letter and I said, uh, but the um, the Portsmouth staff did. They were concerned about wow. him. They, they rocked up at, at hospital and we spent the night in hospital with him because, you know, you just have to be really, really careful. Mm. A few years have passed since, uh, obviously, he was at Arsenal now and you had first heard that this thing about his when his birthday was, was going to affect whether he was a footballer or not. And you said... That was when you decided you needed to learn a bit more about yeah. this. So, at what stage? What stage are you at now? Like uh, finding out about all this stuff. What now? Yeah, After- I, I mean, uh, when he's year. at QPR. Oh, I see. Few years. Few years um, on, basically. Well, I'm just. Time. I'm. I'm aware that this is going to be a problem. Right. Um, I. I during those years, I never talked with him about it because the, you know the thing is you 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 can't let a child carry a burden around thinking. Uh, they're not good enough for a reason which is outside their control because, of course, yeah. you know, there's a huge disadvantage uh, um, and, and, a, and a psychological problem to, to get over. Um, so, but he, during those years, he played for Enfield a bit, but then, and a couple of other clubs. He, um, I, was, I was trying to get closer to home yeah. so that I wasn't traveling so much because, um, you know, there was an awful lot of driving around going on. Um, and he played for a number of teams, always got on really well. And r- really through, it, when he was 15, he was playing for Enfield, I think, um, 14 or 15. Um, but And Enfield Town, I think, rather than Enfield FC, because the, it was to do with their grounds and their... Yeah. Um, and it, actually, we talked with Wealdstone, and the plan was for him to join Wealdstone at under 16s, I think. And then my wife was um, um, asked to do uh, to take over the sort of executive director role, uh, role in Amsterdam um, at short notice because the previous one had died unexpectedly. And so we went to Amsterdam to see if we could make it see what it was like really and whether she wanted to um you know do that job on a longer basis 
which it turned out she did um, and still does it today. And um, I, I I wrote to her, and he, you know, bearing in mind, we're, he's going into doing his G GCSEs at this stage, yeah. so he's at school in London. And so I wrote to a number of football clubs and I got one response, uh, which was from uh, Harlem and it was from Rene Monin. And uh, Rene Monin is these days, he's the Manchester United scout in Holland. Ah, interesting. So he's, um, and he was at that time, unbeknownst to me, actually um, working with Ajax as well. So, and Rene, after, after a period of six weeks there in the summer, Rene yeah. said, uh, we'd like him to join Harlem if that's possible. Um, what division were Harlem? Well, ha ha Harlem were... Um, they're very old and they were a very famous club actually. Um, but they were Erste Divisie, so you know, second, second tier. Okay, but uh, Harlem's not far from Amsterdam. Um, okay. and, and just sorry, and I want to just stick on this. Um, what sort of letter did you send? Because he's been grassroots, so, so, yeah, yeah. So he's he obviously been with QPR, been with Arsenal as a younger player. Oh, yeah, so I said that stuff, yeah. Right? And that is what caught their attention. They said, all right, so, you, made that, you didn't have any well, videos or anything like that. The, the, the invitation was just, yeah, oh, come and, you know, come and come and join in, in for the summer. And um, uh, we were going to be in Amsterdam in any case. Um, Jamie wanted to keep fit. Um, at, you know, his expectation was to come back to England, having done his GCSEs, do, do A-levels at school and probably play for Wealdstone. But we found ourselves there. And then there's a big family discussion, yeah. you know. Um, he, in the first couple of weeks, he didn't, uh, which was actually the summer before with Harlem, he, he wasn't quite sure. It's a new language. You can speak it and all of that kind of stuff. But the second time, he, you know, it really went well. And, um, and they, they were a really good team. And, uh, um, and during that year, Qu Quincy Promes was there, for instance. Okay, yeah. um, Jamie's uh, a centre-back, isn't he? He's a centre-back these days, yeah. Yeah, so um, at this period now when he's like 14, 15, it, uh, how big was he physically? Has he started to go for a growth spurt? He was, yeah, he's always been on on a sort of, you know, 95th percentile all, all, all the way through. I oh, mean, that's interesting. Yeah, he's always, you know, tracked almost exactly where you would expect and he's uh what's he these days 188 189 centimeters six foot three six foot four six foot four. right okay yeah. interesting um because i wonder if if you're late in the school year and you're a physically small player would you have had the same yeah. success that jamie's had well at school the, the school the school he went to played rugby uh, which was quite handy. So, uh, but they did the uh, at the age of twelve and thirteen, they they had a football team. But he was he was so good that it was it was never an issue, you know. So there was, uh, you know, he was always the outstanding player um, uh, when playing outside of academy football, and he played for Middlesex County too. Mm. You know. So when you were in these years when he was with Wealdstone, so he'd left QPR. He was never with Wealdstone. That, oh, sorry, that, sorry. that was uh, that I mean, was where okay. we were. So I mean grassroots football came out of QPR yeah. and then he got into In grassroots. local grassroots yeah. Yeah. and he still had ambitions of being a footballer around this time. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, during this time, w were scouts coming and watching his games? Was, was, his, was, the, was the relative age effect of him being born in August 
was that impacting his opportunity of being scouted? I think so. Um, he he could always fit in at a particular level, um, and you know I kept I you know I we uh, I'm trying, he played for Wickham Wanderers for a, a few matches. Mm. Um, you know usually there there are sort of an, it's an arranged friendly match or something like that, and and people will say well could he, could he come play for that? He spent a uh, a few matches at Watford, so I, I got to know quite a few London football clubs. Um, <laughs> so, so then, yeah, he signed for Harlem. Yeah, um, and then, th yeah, how how did things progress? That now he's a Wales player. Well, ha Wales came much much later. Yeah, um, I, during that period, um, I well back in two thousand and one, I think I was I'd written to the football association. I had a correspondence with the football association, um, you know, who were aware of the problem, and I got. I was very frustrated that they would just do nothing. So, so I've kind of always corresponded with organisations about the problem. But in in that year at Harlem, um, they just had a really good year. And then the day came when they were playing. They had to go and play at Ajax at the at the at the academy there, and and they beat Ajax. So, um, at which point everyone's saying, "Hmm, uh, the Harlem team's pretty good," um, and unbeknownst to me there were conversations going on in the background and at the end of the season um um we were invited over to Ajax and he was asked to join Ajax oh amazing ah oh, so then how many years was he at Ajax two two years at Ajax um so he joined um in in the Dutch system they have the B1s and the A1s yeah uh, the B1s are under 17s and the A1s are um, under 19, so mm. it's a two-year age group. Some clubs have uh, A1s and A2s, and Ajax is one of the clubs that have A1s and A2s. So mm. Jamie joined, he played in the B1s at Harlem, and then he played in the um, A2s at Ajax for two for two years, along with players like Joel Feltman. Mm. Okay, is that um, the um, ST Division, Division team? No, that's... they. They, they play um, a youth competition. Okay, okay. Um, there they, is a that's, like young, that's young It's young art. It's called young art. Yeah, yeah. And they are they're under, I think, under twenty one. Okay. So um, they're they're in an older age group. But there is that moment where there's an expectation. Christian Eriksson was was also one of the um, well, one of the squad, and um, and Christian um, uh, Martin Yoll left at, Chris, at Christmas, and Frank de Boer took took over. Uh, the first team, so he moved from the from uh, take I think from the A ones to, as I recall, there was a bit of moving around of of, mm. of coaches, and and Christian was um, asked to play in the first team around about then. Um, but it's I think this is a very interesting example of of the the bias in operation there because of that age group um, uh, at um, under 18s and under 19s there were 50 players. I think maybe 48, 49, but best part of 50 players. And only three of them were born in the second half of the year. Oh. So, so even those, so even that at, at that age group and in, in that academy, the bias um, is, you know, we're head, you're heading towards 100% there. Because <laughs> that's interesting. Reading your research, um, I think there probably is this perception that like England and America, we're kind of like... I'm sorry, this is not off your research. I think this is sort of what people think like 
out there in the world, like uh, generally, is that like England and America will be the countries who will just scout off big athletic kids and early birth years, and maybe like the countries like Portugal and and Spain, those countries might be more advanced and Holland. But looking at the data, they're all bad, aren't they? Oh, uh, it, it, yeah, absolutely. It happens everywhere. But um, um, the, the the thing is that the the big clubs and the big academy they can't afford not to do it because um, because everyone else is doing it. And if you know if you if you have a team of entirely relatively young players, you're going to lose all your matches, and everyone's going to say, "Well, you're a useless but, coach." Um, yeah. But does that matter that they're losing I, it in in the youth age? It, well. It, it it ought not to, but it does. Um, I, 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 I mean, I would, it matters to the clubs mostly, doesn't it? It matters to the clubs, and of course, and and you know, you, you. I mean, you're always proud of your team winning, whoever you are, whether you're a parent, a coach, or you're a player. You know. Um, but can we establish that there is a definitely a problem here that needs to be solved? Because mm. like, so if we go into for like Jamie, um, he ended up making it um, in spite of the difficulties. Um, do you think there are a lot more players who are born in the last years of school? Um, mm. the, 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 yeah, yeah, the later school years who are not making it as footballers or sports people um, because of that disadvantage. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a statistical problem. And, and, you know, given that we know with a cutoff date of 1st of September, uh, we wind up in a, in a high level academies with a, with a ratio of uh, as much as 80% born in the first half of the year. What are the chances of the opposite being true if the cutoff date was, um, first of you know March or um, it would be, it? and and it's yeah it's not rocket science to uh, to to come to the conclusion well the opposite would be true so if if you then expand that yeah. into the amount of money which is spent on transfers in the last ten years um, in the big in the big five leagues forty seven point two billion euros. Has been spent on transfers, mm -hmm. forty-seven point two mm -hmm. billion. I mean, um, so, and so, you know, the, the the answer is thinking ahead over the next ten years. How much money is going to be spent on football transfers? And it's for the sake of argument, it's going to be a hundred billion euros. Yeah. Now, if um, if that the recruitment is. 55% from the first half of the year yeah. and 45% from the second half of the year. That means 10 billion euros is on the table. 5 billion euros is being wasted on players who shouldn't be, um, who shouldn't have transferred in. And 5 billion is an opportunity cost because there are a whole bunch of players out there who should be. Now, that's not a small amount of money. And the, the the clubs are losing that money. I'm, I so you, common sense says they'd like to get their hands on it, and they would like to get their hands on the relatively young players who are otherwise being missed. So there's talent being missed. I, I, I'm sure of it. Of well, it, has, it can't it, not be with the percentages of yeah of uh, of players that are born in the first two quarters compared to the. Three and four that are coming through. I found it interesting 
in your research that I was reading that you were saying um, there are a lot of kids who do better in their exams who are born in that first part of the school year. Yeah, Se September, October, November birthdays do much better academically um, all, all the way up. Um, and it, it's, it's true even on graduation, o Oxford and Cambridge, um, the graduates from Oxford and Cambridge, and here we're talking about 22, 23, 24, 25, 10% um, more are born in September than are born in August. Um, so it, it works all the way up through the education system and out the other end. And then those figures turn up in the, um, in, in the statistics for chief, the birth dates of chief executives in multinational corporations. So, so you know, being, being born in August in the UK, and if, you have, if you're going into education and you want to play team sport, you are, you're, you're, you're basically, you've got obstacles all the way. And they, they it, you know, Roy Massey once said to me, you know, I, I talked to him about the relative age effect and he said, oh, it's gone by 13. And so, but, and who am I to, who am I to question the head of an academy when he says it's gone by 13? What I now know is that the relative age bias disappears at, guess what age? 27. Wow. 27. And given that football clubs, tend to, the average age for recruitment is 25, it means that they are, they have to be missing an awful lot of players. So, just, would, just, sorry, oh. would, would that be, would that be younger? if they were divided more within their own, like, so into smaller brackets um, earlier in life. Like, let's say you put, for example, everyone from quarter one trained together and mm. played together, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four. So you divided what is one group at the moment into four. Would that have any effect? Well, on... within, within the group, I, um, I, in, in the paper I did in, in the, the, the Routledge uh, book, birth, um, what's it called, birth advantages and relative age effects in sport, um, I analysed how, how cl uh, close in age you had to get down to, and it's about 0.2 of a year. So um, you have to get down to that level. Bef be to, so you've actually got, you've got players who were, are with, actually within a couple of months of each other. Yeah. And then you, you really, it's, it's a struggle to find any, any kind of... Um, uh, uh, bias in an age group that small. So, but but it, you're, so what you're saying is it would it would be helped a lot if you just divided it in in the, the one year into two parts. It would still be helped a lot. It would no? still be absolutely yeah. It would, uh, and that's of course what the Belgian um, FA did. That because, seems like kind of especially yeah. for Cat One clubs who have a lot of money. They kind of seems that. like a no brainer, doesn't it? Well, like, it would be quite easy why, to do. But why they, would you not do it? What's the reason for not? Uh, well, you're kind of you're, you're doubling the number of teams, you're doubling the number of trips, you dream. But, but most most teams, especially in the younger age groups, most age groups have two teams, three teams. So yeah, yeah. I, it's, a I, it's, group of coaches. Well, it's it's definitely a possibility. But I'm I, you know um, Bob Rowe's of uh, who, um, of the Belgian FA, um, um, who worked with us at Craft Football. Um, um, organized a, a second half of the year team yeah. for Belgium. So, and, um, and that proved to be extremely successful. And of course, what did, what did we see? We saw Belgium, Belgium go to become, you know, one of the top three in the FIFA rankings. Um, so. But what's happened because they have, are they still producing the same amount of players, Belgium? Like if that is 
that much of an advantage. Yeah. What's changed recently? I mean, I think relative to what they were producing before all this happened, I think they're still probably producing pretty good players, but that was an exceptional era, which sometimes happens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to link it. Was it down to the relative age effects, the work they were doing there? They probably picked up players that they wouldn't have otherwise. Okay. Um, That may well have made a difference. And they're probably still doing that if they're still... if they're still, still doing it, methods. I don't know. I don't know if they are. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting when we spoke, and you said how, like, um, the teams out abroad, outside of England, they work on a different school year to they us. Do. Well, and, this, not so much the school year is the is the uh, the competition year. Competition they year. they work from first of January to the thirty first of December. And so then all the top players end up being born in like January, January. February. Yeah. 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 So it just proves. Yeah, it just shifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and that interestingly was that became an advantage for Jamie when we when we moved to um, oh, course, to yeah. Holland because uh, because born in August and as close to the, it, the yeah year. he's still born in the second half yeah. of the year but he, he you know it's only eight months not rather than twelve months yeah. so actually that it, whether that made a difference or not who, who knows is a you know it's a counterfactual so so linking it back to the part around like exams. Let's say that the kid goes to school and is is more confident because they're older in the year, so they've maybe had like more education at home. I'm thinking more like a five year old mm. or six year old, and they're going in there now, and then they're putting their hand up in class. They're getting the mm. answers right. That builds on their confidence. They become more confident kid. They're more confident in the playground. Maybe they're physically a bit bigger, and yeah. um, with that extra advantage, so then they end up having this confidence and they're assured of themselves, which going into sport, they're going to bring, again, that confidence into to the game and that competitiveness maybe um, as an advantage. So then, th- then, then I know that the problem that we've talked about is that you, those players then get spotted. They then go into training environments to work with the best coaches, mm. the best facilities, against the best players, which all compounds, they get more coaching in a better environment. So now it becomes harder for the other kids to come in and take that over. But it could be said that these players within that year group, these players in that top of start of the school year are actually better and, and go on to be better so I'm just trying to just challenge, are we actually missing talent? Well, I mean, so many clubs have, uh, you know, have tried to do things. Um, um, West Brom, um, for a while, I, I went up there a couple of times, probably about seven or eight years ago now, and they were inviting um, relatively young players in to form uh, additional teams around the academy to to get involved in friendly matches and so on. And I don't know what became of that. Um, with uh, Paul White at Stoke City, um, before the pandemic, we ran um, over two years, we ran um, um, a project which involved uh, creating um, average team age yeah. um, um, groups. So you have multiple age groups. Um, I think we had them across two two year bands. It might have been three year bands, and it, so it was probably the um, I don't know under nines to under twelves and under twelves to fifteens. Um, and that 
was immensely successful. Sean coming from um, Bath University came mm. and uh, did questionnaires for all of the players just to find out, you know, how did a younger player uh, find it intimidating playing with the older ones? Did the older ones think that, you know, it was a bit much to be asked to be playing with younger players and so on? But actually it was overwhelmingly positive. Um, and they, uh, they, they all had a lot of fun. Yeah. They all said that it gave them an opportunity to do things that they couldn't otherwise. The older ones said, yeah, it was really nice being able to help the younger ones. And I didn't feel in any way that I was kind of let down by them. Um, and the young ones said, and yeah, it was great playing with so-and-so because I really, um, you know, I really look up to him. And at the end of it, and when you analyse the results of all of these, um, there were, there was two, I think, you know, knockout tournaments with the, uh, and then a cross final and, and then a, uh, an absolute final. And the results were really close. Um, and the coaches all got together and organized the teams and they yeah. sort of shuffled them around a bit. They made sure the average ages were all exactly the same. Yeah. So they were all playing on an absolutely, and you, there, there was no, there was n no one from the beginning who was going to be an outright winner. Mm. It was all, and of course, that's actually what you want. Mm. Within those teams, though, wouldn't the older players dominate a little bit? Like, well, they weren't big enough for to for that to happen. Um, and you know, it was sort of roll on, roll off, sub. So, so they were constant. You know, they. Uh, was it six aside, seven aside, something like that? So the teams weren't big enough okay. for, for an individual to be completely dominant, and and they were they were roll on and roll off the whole time. That's something that I wanted to ask because I've heard this term biobanding being used a lot. Yeah. And what does biobanding mean? What is that? Well, it, it's 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 banding on basis of biological maturity rather than simply on age. And what that tends to boil down to is um, BMI, body mass index, because what what you what you're doing really is making sure that uh, it's and it's more you know rugby has um, has has been sort of promoting this because you don't want um, in a contact sport like that to have. Um, very big players coming up against very small players because you know just sim simply for for the to reduce the risk of injury. Um, also, you look at the size of the. You're player looking at the size, yeah, rather which, than the age, which relates to um, you know which relates to their biological maturity because if they're going through the growth spurt, for instance, they're getting a lot bigger very quickly, whereas someone who's a, uh, you know getting to um, uh, puberty later is is. Um, is uh, not growing so fast. Yeah, but, but I read some of the clubs. It might have been Southampton. Yeah, were doing future size. They what? were doing some sort of tournament based on the way that the player is going to grow. Yeah, and then they were picking players based on that to play against okay. each other. Well, I think this is Sean Cummings' area actually. So uh, my solution to all of this is to use an average age. Yeah, and and to organise teams. Um, on an average age basis, and I think that the that the an average team age rule in effect encompasses bio banding because and and in the you know you you're both coaches so you know what it's like when you're picking teams, um, and if you have um, on an average age basis, having a very talented younger player is immensely useful to you because that talented player can can be. It can effectively bring the average age down, which may allow you to drop a different player into that group um, or to take someone out of that group because you're adjusting the average age of the team. So it's making you look at the players in a different way. And I think as scouts and coaches looking at players in that different way, 
they look at the players differently and they come up with uh, um, different priorities in terms of scouting. And I think that I think that's a healthy thing. And if you think about it, it's a system in which the cream would naturally rise to the top, you know, because because there's always an advantage in having a very talented younger player um, um, bringing the average age down. Um, they, the clubs are trying to do things. I mean, there is, I mean, like on when I scout, uh, we get given registers for the players that we're looking at on the day. Let's say this is at Chelsea. Uh, there might be a, a, a festival where all the like seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds have been brought in from all the centres and they're being looked at on a day. And then we'd go through the register and you've got the player's name and the scout that sent them in. And they've also got the month that the child was born. Yeah. So so like when conversations... So you can happen, take it into account. You do take it into account. But that's not reflected in, in who's getting signed really, yeah. is it? I mean, like we've, we've had presentations where like our head of the local recruitment would be putting a meeting on for all the like 50 scouts in London and he, he they would like put on the pie charts on the screen showing the age groups and they, they would say guys just so you're aware we're got we're getting better in this area but we're still not doing well enough like mm. please look at this they would say look we've got but a third sorry the people that are putting on those presentations yeah. they're they're the ones responsible for the choices ultimately aren't they like they're deciding so no, uh, they can only deal with like what comes in through the door. So the scouts. So you're saying the, the percentage of players they're presented with is really skewed still. I, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. I'm, I'm, yeah, I that would expect that to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're looking at the data. Like we have to fill yeah. in, and this will be the same, I'm sure, across all the clubs. Yeah. Um, definitely a lot of the, like the Cat One clubs. You'll do a report each month as a scout. And you'll have to like be saying like your activity. I went mm. to this tournament. I went to this school. I went to watch these players. And you're putting in the ages of players that you're seeing. And so then the, the, the club at like the head office is collating all that data and then pushing out reports back to us to say, guys, be aware that whether conscious or not, you're, yeah, you're looking yeah. at these sorts of yeah. players. So um, I thought of the idea in the middle of this yeah. Um, podcast yeah. that I suggested to Steve where you divide the players into more uh, smaller age brackets. Yeah, I okay? think that. So there's nothing stopping Chelsea do that. I'm sure they've thought of that. What's the reason that they're not doing that? For Chelsea, for example. The reason they're not doing that is because Arsenal won't then do it. That's exactly. Okay. Exactly. So this needs to come from the uh, FA. Premier League. Yeah. I agree. I, I was literally about to say the same thing to you, Rob. Yeah. Like I, I was thinking, because I was literally, you were, you were probably getting both from Rob and I to think this way. Um, um, sorry, go on. But, but what uh, Steve said earlier about they're leaving money on the table. Che if Chelsea took a view of... Let's say Arsenal. <laughs> let's say Tottenham. <laughs> if Tottenham took a view of... Well, uh, Instead of we want to win now, let's do yeah. uh, let's divide the age groups and make sure we're getting the best from quarter two. Yeah, we're getting the absolute best from quarter two I, that no one else is exploiting. It, that, I mean, that would be a very interesting um, strategy l looking long term. When I sorry, I, quarter half yeah, two, not quarter yeah. two. Um, I went to um, I visited um, uh, Alex Inglethorpe at Spurs when he was there probably about 10 years ago now. And I was really surprised when uh, I, I walked in there because on the wall they had they had the, the player groups and they were grouped into thirds of the year. So they're four months. Um, and so they were really busy looking at it back then. And 
and and I, you know, back in, in when when Jamie was involved, there we we actually went to Spurs on one occasion, and he was asked to play with the under 13s when he was nine, and I thought that didn't sound right. <laughs> um, um, but they've um, they picked up both. Um, Gareth Bale and Harry Kane, who are both late-born players, really, both of whom, um, I, you know, I think, you know, there was a moment when Gareth Bale, um, when, when he, you know, he'd gone to Southampton, and and I think some people were saying, well, uh, you know, he's he's not not going to. He's having a lot of back injuries, wasn't he? He, yes, I think he's always had back injuries. He's quite tall, so he's always had back injuries. I think. Kane um, had a few loans before, and well, oh, yes, you see, he was released from Ar- Arsenal, yeah, and he wasn't like a can't miss, was he? No, um, they uh, had to. They they were good scouting Tottenham. Like, they, um, I like think, seeing him and seeing his potential. Well, what what I was told back there then is that Tottenham are not so worried about the results because it, you know what was said is oh they have a really small team, you know, physically small. Yeah. And so, looking back, it's very likely that they had they they at that stage were were looking at relatively young players. And Alex Inglethorpe is now at Liverpool, of course, and um, um, and um, in Virgil Van Dijk, they've picked up um, uh, an, another relatively young player who you know who who um, didn't go straight into the Premier League. Um, he, he, yeah, he was a late developer. He, went, he was a late, a late developer. He was late born, therefore a late yeah. developer. Celtic, he went to Celtic. He was like 24, 25, yeah. something like yeah. that. The phrase that keeps coming about with this subject is a high performer is not the same as high potential. Uh, what it sounds like from everything you're saying is there's like a gap in the market here yeah, for absolutely. a club. It's a, there's an opportunity rather than oh. we should be uh, like kind of trying to... Yeah. Well, trying to force you know, clubs to do this, we should like be saying I, I, there's I a gap here it, where you're like like you're I, missing I'm players on you though because I'm thinking from an administrative point of view. You said why don't the clubs just have two like teams? They've got two teams that yeah. play each week. Why aren't they divided? They divide in it age. into age group, yeah, yeah, and then just separate those. But like that would take coordination and agreement with all the other Premier League. It clubs. wouldn't. It wouldn't. It would right. just mean. You'd lose a lot of games in the yeah, younger age group, really but you'd have the the choice yeah. of the very best, basically. Oh, 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 all right, who are who are born in the last half of the of the school year? Okay, but then this then comes into a conversation around winning culture, and and toxic winning, whatever. Yeah. Um, sometimes yeah, quotes mean you don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you want to win, don't you? No, no, but like, there's a certain amount of like winning. And having even games, even-ish games, um, or, or sorry, losing can really affect development. Like losing badly. Listen, you can find winnable games for that that mm. group of elite second half of the year. You, mm. you don't have to play all their games but, against. But why don't? But why if if all the Premier League clubs kind of like coordinated and said, "All right, we're all going to do this." Yeah, but I'm I, that's that would be <laughs> ideal. But what I'm looking at is from the perspective of an opportunity for a club to be ahead of everyone else because no one's doing it well you the, the thing is if everyone's doing Not it, no one's doing it if they, they, they're making f like they, no one's doing what i've just said no no, no you're right yeah, yeah. So, they're not so there's that. an opportunity there to yeah. to pick up all those well i'd, I'd like to see an experiment where um 
a few clubs got together and decided that they would play, you know, a, a round robin tournament or, or something on an average team age basis. You know, Spurs, Chelsea, um, Arsenal, West Ham um, play on that basis. Just try it. Just pilot it. Just to see what yeah. happens and see. And you know, take take I don't know the under thirteens and have thirteen as your average age, mm. which would allow you some fourteen year olds and some twelve year olds to to play. Yeah. They'd have the experience of playing together with older or younger players, which would frankly be good for them. And 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 then see and see what happens. I mean, you know what what is there to lose? Mm. I, I, and the, yeah, you know it's. I, I, and, and the other thing is, if if you did do that, let's say there is a an advantage in in doing that 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 no one else is doing. You, like you said, if you make it make it so that's point five percent, point five. If you divided it in quarter one and quarter two, like you said, it it's, it would be even better the advantage if you could divide it into point two. So if you had even even um, mm. shorter yeah. age group bracket, um, your I, advantage of of picking up the best players in each month or two months of the year becomes even bigger theoretically i i i don't my own view is you just you don't need to get as granular as that yeah yeah um, i'm not saying but yeah. just to take it to the um, to the next kind of level of what i said going into your on, proposal of having these tournaments and these games that are with a two year average age like I've read so many football autobiographies of, of footballers uh, growing up and countless times, because I'm always looking for the patterns of why do these people yeah. make it, yeah. So, so many of them talk about playing in parks, playing yeah. cage football, playing in caravan sites, and they're all playing with different age groups. Always, yeah. Street football is about, you know, I mean, how do you organise street football? You know, you've got a bunch of 30 kids running running around, and what happens? The two best players get to be team captains, and they one picks one, one picks another, one picks one. And so what happens? You wind up with two teams which have the same average age and also have equal ability because that's the most fun. Mm. If you've got one team is going to win 20 nil every time, well, it's no fun for anyone, is it? <laughs> you know, um, well, one of the things that I'm, I'm doing um, in, in the, there was a very interesting period at Ajax between about t 2012 and 2016 when, um, when uh, Johan Kraft died because the, 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 the Kraft plan that was implemented there involved um, having multiple age groups um, with uh, coaches, trainers as they're called in Dutch, um, uh, around each of those multiple age groups. So, and it, it relied um, to an extent on peer-to-peer -peer education so that you, you know, if you've got a, th a three-year band, it was uh, nine to uh, it was nine to twelves, twelve to fifteens, fifteens to eighteens. Um, when you've got an older player playing with younger players, they're in a position because they can do something. They're in a position to coach the younger player. Well, if they're coaching the younger player, that relieves the coach to do something else. So you can use your resources much more efficiently if you do that and you can also if you identify a player who has a particular issue you know perhaps there's a biomechanical problem um to do with the way they're running um and because i remember um, ruben took ruben yonkin took um uh, christian erickson 
um, out of the group and worked absolutely specifically on his running style in order to make it much more efficient because he was wasting an awful lot of energy whilst running. If you look at the way he runs now, he's, he is always conserving energy when he's running, but he, he's very often one of the players who's done covered the most ground on the pitch, but he does it really efficiently with the least consumption of energy. And, and you know, football is about that. There's only a yeah. certain amount of energy available in the course mm-hmm. of 90 minutes mm. um, and you need to use it efficiently. Um, you'd previously said that players in the later school year have longer careers. If you, I mean, if you just think about it, it, um, it play, uh, late-born players tend to sit on the bench much more. They don't get so many starting places. They don't okay, play so, so it's many more matches. Like miles on the clock. So of. it's miles, kind of miles on the clock there, you know. Okay. And so, um, um, and so you'll find that relatively y- young players may only play, you know two, three, four hundred matches in their careers, whereas um, the re- the relatively older players will get six, seven, even eight hundred matches in a career. The, the players who came through the crowd football period and the um, the planned crowd period yeah. uh, at, at Ajax, you know, we're lo- looking at players like Matthias de Ligt now at uh, Bayern Munich and uh, Frankie de Jong. Um, those players came through that period where we were using multiple age groups and and so on. And I think multiple age groups are something we need to see much more in education generally because um, because no we have a horse race system at the moment. You know, all the all the children on first of September they all set off in this race across, across a year, yeah. and some of them are a year younger than the ones at, at the front. Yeah. And it's a horse race. You know, they got to the end of the year, and have you done? Have you ticked this box and this box and this box? Yeah, that's not education. Make it, yeah, you make it um, sound that's, pretty that's, primitive. That's what I was literally just about to say because I kind of like mentioned this point earlier, but I was kind of saying like, is it schools to blame a little bit? Because does it? It's like chicken and egg. Is it from the school system? Okay, but football teams don't have to. They're not yeah. binded by it. No, but I, I gave those examples of saying like those kids are coming more confident, maybe because of the school environment, which then the scouts are just dealing with like who they can deal with, 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 yeah. with who is the talent. Well, you- and you've got the opposite effect too, because and at, sat, sat at the back of the classroom, you know, the old ones are sat up the front asking the questions, and and you know they've all got the confidence. Um, little little Jimmy, that was my theory, by the little, way. Oh, no, no, it's it, it's how it works. Right, okay, and the, little little Jimmy is sat at the back, and he's a year younger than everybody else, and isn't feeling terribly co- confident about life. And he's you know he's dead skinny, and he's um, and, <laughs> and 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 everyone. Poor Jimmy. And I know, and uh. and then and and what happens is you know Jimmy doesn't understand that he's not going to put his hand up because he doesn't want to be embarrassed and so he doesn't understand that and next week there's something else he doesn't understand that by the end of the year he doesn't understand anything and he's um and the teacher is saying go and stand outside the door jimmy because you you know you're you're messing around um at the back and of course that's his education's gone down the drain and it turns out you know what happens next he's diagnosed with adhd or um or and and Guess what? There's relative age bias, which identifies um, a, a prevalence of, of ADHD no and schizophrenia no yep, in, wow. in relatively oh young children, God. which is a consequence of their educational environment. It's nothing to do with them. It's the consequence of their environment. I saw a stat recently that was saying that there's a high percentage of people in prison, men in prison, yeah. who, have, who are diagnosed with ADHD and also with dyslexia. Um, Wow. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I wonder, I would like to look at the stats Mm. of 
people in prison. And, and they're on and the basis of that. Imagine yeah. that. Wow. God. Yeah, that would be very interesting. So, Because part of this conversation, um, I wondered, well, are we having this conversation because of fairness? Like it's not, it's not fair that the way it's, that the kids are having the opportunities, mm. and that that is a thing. But also, I mean, mm. I don't know. Like life is not that fair. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I understand what you're saying, yeah. but I mean, there are solutions to it. I, yeah. I, I do well, think there are solutions, but not, not, you know, not everybody can become a professional footballer. No, you know, it. But, that, it but there's yeah. solutions to find the best players throughout are, the year, yeah. rather than. I think the school system that should be fair. That has to got to be. They've got to look at that. Yeah, I think I that's agree. harder because that's so uh, like relatively to football academies or the top football academies, school systems way more underfunded. Well, the the, the answer there is to have um, uh, is to have multiple age groups. You, you, you the, the the all of this problem is is created by um, an eligibility cutoff date, it's, it's, it, which makes administration really easy for the adults. And this is what a bugbear I have. You know, when whenever there's a a problem um, caused which damages children, there's usually a bunch of adults who who are sat around with their feet up because something is really easy. And if the cutoff date is first of September, you know, everybody um, 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 after that date goes into that year, and everybody before that date goes into that year, and it's dead easy. And I've got my register, and that's my yeah. problem solved. Thank you very much. And that's what happens in academy football too. Yeah. Gets put into years, and and one of the one of the really the only problem with the average team age rule is someone's got to calculate the average age of the team. Um, it's work that people and, don't do. and yeah, and it's frankly it's not really difficult at all so with a spreadsheet. But how would you um, how would you band together age groups at school then? Would you do it? Well, in Montessori education, uh, we use. Um, oh, just to give context around Montessori education, Mont if that's yeah. okay. You're, you're my uh, my wife is the executive director of the Association Montessori International, which is the institution that was founded by Maria Montessori herself in okay. uh, 1929. Which runs an organisation which trains teachers in uh, with over 50 affiliates in 50 countries, at least more than 50 countries around the world. So, so we're kind of we're in a world of of, of Montessori education. When I, I for IAX, um uh, designed the academic building for the players in the uh, training ground, in, the, in absolutely in the centre of it, and um, that was designed along the principles of um, a prepared environment for um, for the players at Ajax. Did you help with that? I designed it. Oh, yeah. did you? Mm, wow. Yeah. You designed the training yeah, you've complex been there. for Ajax. No, I oh, saw okay. the photos, saw photos in your oh, right. yeah document. Yeah. But I didn't. I wasn't aware that you yeah. designed that. Awesome. Yeah, you, you, I, you know, it wasn't a particularly difficult thing to do. It was there was only one place it would go, so uh, uh, which was in between the um, uh, right the next door to the first team training um, pitch and the uh, exhibition pitch. And um, I worked with uh, Edwin van der Sar and Michael Kinsberg and and Ed Leferbra on it, and uh, it's. It's actually just a very nice building, and it's actually the it's kind of become the heart of um, of things there, um, and every, everybody uses it. Um, education is an important part of the philosophy at IAX, um, you know, because well, if you get to the under seventeens at IAX, something like eighty percent of the players who make it to the under seventeens will play professional football. Um, 
but for a younger you know, the younger ages there's attrition going on and you know they're not they haven't got a career in football so they need to have something else yeah um earlier on you cited a tournament where they did some questionnaires with the players and yes. the older players said Stoke that they City, were okay yeah. to play with younger players and yeah. they sort of said that they liked it but that was probably a bit of a snapshot if it was absolutely fair, yeah, yeah? Uh, so like i know some like anecdotal experiences that i could talk about where players have been put down a yeah. age group and then the parents get upset yeah player loses confidence okay well the parents are wrong in that situation you know having been a um uh, and still am a football dad um it, you have to stand back you have got to let the children um get on with it because it's their lives it's not your life and i think there are an awful lot of adults living their dream through yes, their exactly. child and i i you know it's it's frankly it's damaging um because you create expectations which may never be achieved um and then you you're 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 creating a burden for a child to carry a long time and I, and so i i I'm all for keeping parents well away um on that the only reason the child's confidence would be affected was would be because of how yeah. the parents react to it surely yeah. like surely the kid is not overly aware of I'm being dropped down in an age group or whatever do you know or this is bad that I've been dropped down down an age group surely I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that probably is like, there's probably is parents who are building out an identity often through social media. And yeah. I, I mean, the parents can 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 do with that information whatever they want to teach to their kid. Like they don't have to teach to their kid. This is a bad thing that you'll be, you're playing game yeah. age. Yeah, I asked the FA to, um, um, to, to formalize uh, permission to play down and they refused to do really? it. Really? They refused no to do it. No way. It, Why? What was the reason? Why, I, the FA are all over the place. Well, you know, they, they've got a rule in place in a rule book which says the eligibi eligibility is predicated on 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 this date, which is the 1st but, of September. But Chamber sorry to interrupt, but um, Oxley chamberlain uh, you cited Gareth Bale, Ashley Young. These are all players that I know played down for long periods. Did they? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. They played down an age group. Yeah. And those clubs organised that. Was was that because they were borderline or because they were physically, like borderline in terms of their age onto between the yeah, two? Yeah, I think so. I okay. think so. Or my, Ashley Young and Zaha was another one as well. Okay. They were players who were ineffective in the game. Yeah. And so they needed to like be down. Maybe physically small. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they had to build them up this way. And uh, obviously it got these great results with them. Yeah. With them. Um, so <clears throat> if parents w could, could sort of like embrace that and trust the coaches, Reese James was another one where all, Reese James was the right age. And he, his dad explained to us on the podcast that we did with him, where he said that he, all, all Reese James's mates, all the good like 16 year olds were up with the under 18s mm. and he was the only one that was down yeah. he was essentially in his own age but it it could have been perceived as it's not a good thing like yeah. nothing well but he knuckled down he like really embraced it he mastered being a fullback which was a new position for him during that time and then he then went out to Wigan on loan but that's another example so maybe if the parents could trust the coaches and let them get on with it. But I think sometimes academies let themselves down where they play kids in not maybe their best position. I don't mean best position is in like where they're most effective. Mm. I mean, where potentially they could have a career in football yeah. or what's good for them during that time. Mm. For instance, uh, 
a player that potentially could go on to be a very good centre back. Mm. Maybe they need a good period yeah. playing centre midfield. Sometimes I've seen some examples where it's like like Reese James was an example of, of what his dad did of taking some ownership, kind of speaking to the club saying, no, my boy's going to be a fullback. And then that worked. Yeah. So then sometimes parents like sort of feel that they've got to intervene because that's going to help. But then probably there's like a few examples where it's worked well, but 90% of when the parent storms in the club and says, no, my kid shouldn't do that. No, my kid yeah. shouldn't play down. Mm. They're interfering and they're actually not trusting the coaches. Yeah. I, I, mm. I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I think par parents need to stand back. Um, yeah. You know, the, um, my job was, was to get him there on time. Um, and then back off. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's slightly different if you do have like a, a a real background in football. But most of the parents think they have a background in football. Yeah, which like they think playing for like a, a step seven team twenty years ago or whatever is a background in football where their their knowledge is not really relevant. Like. A lot of the times. Yeah. Or they think that success success is scoring goals. Mm, yeah. And so then they demand that their child is playing as a striker or something yeah. like that. Yeah. That that interference, that is spoil that is not helpful for the culture. Because I think that what we're sorry. We spoke about this with uh, Jolie and Lescott on the last or oh, two two podcasts ago where uh he we we said basically all everyone thinks they know everything about football, but like but just because it's so prevalent everywhere in in the world yeah. but yeah the problem is people don't know what they don't know they're not aware that they're not really an expert and no one seems to understand that like a lot of people don't understand that this is and you touched on it earlier where you were saying look you can have a group of all like young players and if they're in a league and the other clubs don't want to organize it then they're going to lose a lot of games why does that matter because the most important thing is that you're producing players that end up having pro careers and so then there's a fine balance and then i challenged that because i said yeah but sometimes if you're getting really battered that can actually hinder development mm. and, and i think like there needs to be some kind of, there needs to be work done and more education around like the perfect balance of what is appropriate winning mentality and a winning mindset and what is for the greater good and what's gonna be best yeah, for development. I think when you're saying about getting battered is gonna affect you, I think that's like an extreme example if you're getting battered every week. You're gonna, regardless of anything, you're gonna have days when you win heavily and days when you lose heavily, even if, you're fairly yeah. evenly matched. So, yeah. the the um, there's a couple of aspects to this. Um, you know, one is one thing we haven't talked about very much is participation, um, because you know we're talking about uh, academy level where um, the, you know the the potential for participation is quite limited. But we're in in terms of sport generally, all children need to be playing sport in in my view agree, of some I kind agree, or you know they too. they need physical activity yeah. and what's necessary there is to have multiple um, um a, a multiplicity of opportunity at very young ages acro across sport generally and i don't think that's something we're doing well enough that's in this a country. difficult one though isn't it it because, is difficult because yeah. um 
kids are getting so much more practice at football yeah. earlier now. So yeah. football is the one sport where if you do fall behind a little bit in terms of practice yeah. hours early, it's really hard to catch up. Whereas if the other sports, yeah, to catch up, I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Whereas other sports, yeah. you don't probably have that deficit. If well, you, yeah, proficiency with a ball is proficiency with a ball. You know, I and and um, I told you on that. <laughs> no, he's talking about you're even natural with it or you're not a little bit. <laughs> In all I, my opinions. Well, I I know I could just do things straight away with a ball like that. I've I, seen kids improve a lot through a lot of practice. No one's saying they can't. No. Yeah, no, well, I think both of those are true actually, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you, you know, what is true is you can you can see a child who's skillful um, with their body, um, very, very early on. Um, you know, they, they, as they may walk very early, they, um, Oh, th this was from our phone call. You are, rem you reminded me, um, with the, I want to pronounce it correctly. The Montessori, Montessori education yeah. is a lot of movement and yeah. flow from a young age, from yeah. a toddler. Yeah. So Jamie was doing this. He was, yeah. Yes. I um, he, he was in Montessori schools until about the age of, 11 i think do you think that helped with his football eventually or yeah. helped you to see I, I, like I, his talent potentially made him more coordinated by the time he started yeah. touching the ball well, but I, made him an advantage. I i tell you what it really helped with was um the um he he's a he's a player um uh he he tends not to stand out until unless you look really carefully and if you look care, carefully really really carefully the statistics you think you think oh hang on a second um because he's a player who makes all the other players play better mm. um and that's quite a rare skill because his anticipation is so good he reads the game so he you know he he, he reads what's going on in space he's very often um, in the right place at the right time. When um, in in the in the Welsh game against the Czech Republic, there was um, they were through on on goal, and it, um, it was one on one with the goalkeeper. And out of nowhere, Jamie arrived and took that ball off. Um, Joe Rodon also made another challenge in, 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 in the back end of that game, and in beating the Czech Republic in that match was one of the. Um, stepping stones to actually qualifying for the World Cup, mm. um, but you, that can also work against you being in the right place at the right time. Because when they were playing um, Croatia in Croatia in the most hostile environment I have ever witnessed a fo football match, um, Dan Dan James was uh, fouled at the other end of the pitch, and the ref didn't give a free kick, and everyone was kind of caught napping, um, and Modric sort of with the ball past to Perisic and there was only one player in the right place at the right time and it was Jamie um, and it, he scored an own goal because oh. um, and you, oh. <laughs> just to get to see if they look at the players differently because you know scouts amongst those age groups in in Holland are really switched on you know they're they're they're, they're really really looking for for interesting potential players there. Am I right in saying it's a relatively better paid job than it is in England? I don't know the answer to that. I think the, um, the youth coaching and the youth scouting in Holland, from what I've heard, um, is much more like they prefer to have the best coaches, for example, at the youth level rather than... Yeah, rather the, than the older level. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, because my experience is 
somewhat limited. Um, I, I have a very, very good impression of the way. That's interesting, Rob, because one of the parents sent us in a question knowing that Steve was coming on yeah. and we were talking about this subject, kind of asking what you've said. The question that they said was, do you feel the barrier to entry for a scout in England is quite low? How does this compare to Holland, for example? So like probably like I might be in an okay position to like give an answer on this because like I've gone through the qualifications it takes to be a scout, but there isn't really like a pathway necessarily. I think that the FA are trying to do more on this. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was running the Futsal Academy, I didn't have any scouting experience, but I got like kind of approached by a couple of clubs to kind of work informally for them as a scout basically yeah. so yeah i don't it doesn't seem like and you you will know better it doesn't seem like there's a load of criteria that you need to fulfill to become a scout they do work now at the top end they say if you're like running academies you have to have your ta talent id level four and then they they're getting scouts on the talent id programs that the fa are putting out and the talent id level two was brilliant so Chelsea put me on that, yeah, and yeah, it's it's excellent. I think like if you're, but what, you, you can't. How can you say it's excellent if you haven't seen the Dutch one, for example? Like you've got nothing to compare it to. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know from my experience with the FA, the FA are not are not no, very. They've got better. Oh, well. <laughs> not very good at many things. But 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 just to, um, know it. Like people will often say to me, "Oh, Sean, how do you become a scout?" And I sort of say to them, hmm, you've got to have good players. You've got to have access to good players. Yeah. And yeah, you know, if you do that, then clubs are going to want you to be working yeah. with them. Yeah. And then you end up can get a job off it. It takes a really long time. It's not like you can suddenly just go. You, they sort of, you have to volunteer for a period of time. But yeah, in terms of that question, the entry of being a scout, I don't think when you're early on, you're not really, I don't think, getting educated by the clubs on relative mm. age effects mm. or anything like no, this. No, no. Um, do, do you know, you don't know much about the scouting in, in Holland then? Or? I don't know. I don't. Because um, so, like I said, Sean, yeah, yeah. You, you could say you really enjoyed that course yeah. and you learned a lot. Yeah. That doesn't mean you wouldn't have learned 10 times more from yeah, the Spanish right. course or the whatever, get, German get, course, yeah. whatever. Do you know what I mean? You've yeah. got nothing to compare it to. So it's hard to say. Fair enough. That was amazing. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing education. <laughs> yeah, but I've been doing it long enough that I can kind of know good and bad, kind of compared like, to everything well, in England only. Well, well, no, but I've not just like had my education just from like yeah England. Like, I have actually gone out and sourced other learning, so I I'm able to filter. Like there's been stuff that I've been on with FA, and I've said I do not agree with this. And I will filter that. I don't just like sit on a course and just. No, I'm not saying in. you're like you're yeah. brainwashed or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, what do we really have to compare it to to know what the scouting is like yeah, in mean, other okay, countries? Yeah, I, I get you. I think I think that what I would say about Holland um, is that the facilities are absolutely fantastic. Um, all, all of the amateur clubs in Holland have facilities which are as good as English academies. So mm. you, you, in effect, you've got 3,300 academy, academies, wow. um, you, you know, with uh, really well-maintained grass pitches, very often a, um, a, a 4G pitch as well, always floodlights, 
always um, um, good clubhouses, um, hot showers, decent changing rooms, all, all of those um, facilities. And they are just everywhere. Um, if you fly over Holland on a, on a, on a clear night, um, that when it's got dark, you just see emerald green patches <laughs> everywhere. Wow. You were, I, you could just look out the windows of an airplane, and you can always count fifty or more um, football um, football clubs all operating. Mm. Um, it's it's, and, and I'd love to see that in England. I really mm. would. Um, and I, I I think that one of the one of the problems that we have, and you know, as if you're if you're going to be scouting. You, you, there have to be matches going on on football pitches, otherwise you've got nothing to look at. You know, it, and the quality of the facilities that the children are playing on are really very important for you to be able to determine um, accurately I what you're seeing. I think to reinforce what I've heard from, from time about um, the coaches at youth level are better, more educated than the relative coaches here. Uh, so yeah. grassroots or the equivalent of grassroots in Holland would have proper coaching. It comes into structure that, that is, as that well is in, true. in yeah. how we identify at certain ages. So with our company, we make footballers and we host these like talent ID events um, frequently and we will do like one one against ones mm -hmm. um, and we will focus a lot of our attention on scouting for that four to seven year old age, which five yeah. to seven year olds. Yeah. And um, we will tend to scout 1v1 or 2v2 so if you're a small, like, younger player, we will partner you up against a player of sim sim right. similar physical ability. We don't necessarily know their age. That might be something to make a further improvement, but that has definitely helped. So like, it's probably meant that I've been quite successful as a scout because I'm seeing players in a 1v1 situation mm -hmm. against their own physical size. And that's what makes me say, oh, they're a good player. Look at them the way they touch the ball and those things. Mm. Whereas... Other scouts, if they're doing their scouting, going out at parks, at games, at tournaments, mm. where it's 5v5 and that kid is maybe not touching the ball for a yeah. long time, yeah. they're being missed. Yeah, yeah, you are also missing half of the, uh, most of the game if, if, you, if you're only seeing what they can do with the ball. You're, you're missing yeah, but a lot at under game. six, I know, you don't I do, need I, to see anything hear, else, really. I wouldn't say that, but you don't need to in England. Under six? I wouldn't say that. Well, you've seen under sixes showing leadership skill, I suppose. Uh, yeah, control, okay. passing the ball, that kind of stuff. But yeah, under four, yeah. Kai did it. Under four, he was showing, uh, <laughs> get into space. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, we're really running out of time, but I've, I've absolutely just loved this conversation. Mm. I'm sure the parents have been loving it as well um, and learned a lot. Um, one of the last questions I had for you um, was what advice would you give to parents who have a child quarter three, quarter four of the school year? Be patient. Um, you've got to take a long view. Right. Um, and I mean, that is one of the things, you know, I always said to, to Jamie growing up, I said, you know, you will get your chance. Nice. You, you've just got to, um, and, so long as you love playing, um, keep playing, um, be patient, and the opportunities will come. And the opportunities did did come for him. I mean, um, you know, he's uh, he's lived his dream, um, which uh, of course um, you know makes me very happy. Yeah. Of, obviously, um, 
and um, and don't be pushy um, because it's their life. Uh, let them get on, enjoy it, let them have fun, make sure it's fun, be there to pick them up when they fall, they got, you know, you know, stud slices across their knee and they can't do anything for a couple of weeks because it's got, um, you know, be there for them when you've got to be in the minor injuries unit, for, you know, which is countless because it's a broken finger or whatever it is. Yeah. Be prepared to deal with all of that stuff. I mean, you know, injuries are part of, um, the game, particularly professional football. And you mentioned earlier that your advice was not to almost let the player know that they have a disadvantage. Uh, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's not helpful in any way to yeah, talk yeah. very much about it. If you as an adult know about it, that's one thing because you, um, uh, as, a, as a parent who knows that they have a child who's disadvantaged by the relative age effect, they can compensate. You can in, use that. You can, you, you can use that. Use that. They, they can't. The child can't use it, but you can by making sure that um, um, that the, the opportunities are still there. Yeah. Um, and that, that was, that's been my experience and that's what happened with Jamie. Um, and he's had, he's had a most marvelous career playing in, uh, in, in, uh, in Harlem and Ajax at Sparta Rotterdam at Erkesse Valwijk, um, at, um, uh, Trenchin at Anderlecht at St. Pauli in Germany and now at Nuremberg. Um, you know, these are marvelous clubs. Nuremberg is is um, you know the, the the I'm hoping that um, they're, they're through to the last um, to the quarterfinals of the uh, DFB Cup. I'm I'm hoping they get Bayern Munich because that is the Bavarian <laughs> that is the Bavarian derby. Oh, and, brilliant! And um, oh. they, last year they beat um, but uh, St. Pauli, Jamie captain the team that beat Borussia Dortmund, and he took on uh, Erling Haaland and kept oh. him kept him quiet. Um, and and Jude Bellingham actually. Um, or, so or QPR, who are kind of languishing down in the lower of the championship, they're probably like kicking themselves listening to this now because they maybe. had the opportunity to have Jamie. They did. They could do a centre back, <laughs> and if they only they'd gone there in the hospital. Yes. Taken more care. I've still we've still got the shirt he was wearing, oh. uh, which I keep. Oh. I, which I <laughs> and it was it, it, it was the Dennis the Menace um, strip. I don't know if you remember it, the red I and black do, strip. I do. Yeah. Um, I sort of keep that as a uh, reminder. Well, no, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed you. hearing that, um, and yeah, learnt a lot. So thank you so much, Stephen.